now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Whole Home Show. I'm Tony Joe, your host here every week, bringing you tips, education, updates, and all things that are going on home-related matters. Whether you're in the real estate market or if you're looking for decorating or improvement ideas for your home, this is a great place to be. Our show comes to you with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellas, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Shoreline Inspections with Reese Jacob and Monica Gass. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. Uh, I love being your host here every week. I've been selling real estate in Greater Victoria since 1991. I have handled hundreds of transactions in our fair city, and I am one of these guys who would uh, be happy to help you as well, too. If you need a second opinion or want to just chat about real estate, your real estate needs, give me a call. Be happy to talk with you. You can find my contact information along with the rest of the whole Home Show team members on the CFAX1070.com website. Look under Shows. There you'll find us, The Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. All of our contact information is there. Uh, again, we would love to hear from you. Today, we're talking about electrical systems and building inspections with our show partner, Reese Jacob from Shoreline Inspections. Going to have a great conversation, not only about what a building inspection looks like, maybe even think about doing a inspection, even if you're not thinking of selling, just checking out your home, making sure all the systems are working well. Uh, and finally, we'll be talking about electrical things, maybe all those questions you've always had about household uh, electrics that maybe you never thought about. Uh, he's going to give us some great answers. We always begin with a listener question. So if you've got a question or a story to tell us about real estate, call us. The hotline is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Leave a message along with your name and phone number so we can get back to you just in case we have any questions. Or, of course, you can find us online. Again, cfax1070.com, and we'll discuss it on the air. Not a listener question this week, but a couple of things have popped up that I want to have a conversation with you about today. Uh, one is multiple offers. How do multiple offers work? And uh, to note, one of my clients last night was asking me how multiple offers uh, are created, most importantly. So um, a multiple offer situation is when more than one buyer party wants to purchase a house. Of course, in any real estate transaction, you've got one seller and one buyer. But what happens if you've got two or three or five or 10 or 33 buyers that want to buy one particular house? That's what we call a multiple offer or a bidding war, uh, which is it's referred to sometimes. Now, first of all, multiple offers almost always happen when a listing is brand new. Because when you think about it, when something is fresh, it's like that loaf of bread at the store. Uh, it gets very little interest if that loaf of bread has been sitting around for a week or two weeks, especially when there's fresh bread just the aisle down. Uh, obviously, people pick the new stuff. It's the same with real estate as well. When a property is new to market, that's when it's hot. That's when everyone wants it. Uh, the other feature to multiple offers that is, I would say, necessary is pricing. Because the reason why people get excited about a property is because it is deemed to be 
either priced to market or even priced under market. You know, you've seen examples in other market areas where sellers have intentionally underpriced their property in order to generate the multiple offer. I have an example in Toronto that I just kind of recently was uh, made aware of where it was a $1.4 million home and the seller intentionally listed it at $1.1 million. So they went below market value with the idea that they were going to get multiple offers, which they did, by the way. And they ended up selling for more than $1.4 million, more than that market price. Um, so those are two things. Number one, it's got to be new. It's got to be fresh. Number two, it's got to be priced either right to market, bang on, or underpriced in order to generate that. Because, see, one of the other things is that some sellers who have been on the market for a while, maybe been on the market for a month or two months or three months or six months, uh, they ask the question of their realtor, hey, can you help? Can you make us a bidding war, a multiple offer situation? Well, you can't because, again, think about that old loaf of bread, right? If you are a long of tooth listing that hasn't had attention, usually what that signifies is that the market has decided that the price isn't right that you're asking too much money. So what some agents will do is they will take the house off the market, they'll relist it at the right price or the lower price, and then that's when the multiple offers happen. Not on a stale, older listing that's been around for a while uh, where the price is perhaps a little too optimistic. Okay, you, you think about a desire, you think about market activity. Okay, if you have yourself recently uh, purchased concert tickets when they have just been released or you're going camping and you go you want to pick campground sites or even if you're looking at a pre-construction condo something that hasn't been built yet um, all of the good ones are the ones that go first and you don't get a deal on those by the way normally you got to pay a premium if you want to get in on the ground level as it were to get the good spots the same is true in real estate uh, as well too um, so again, getting back to how offers are built, and like I said, there's got to be that desire. There's got to be the market. There's got to be buyers out there, right? There is a process though. So when there are more than one offer that arrives, uh, the real estate industry has a sort of um, uh, rules of engagement as it were. So uh, the first thing is the only people that know what the other offers are is the seller, and their agent. So uh, in fair gameplay, we do not share the offer numbers to all of the other realtors. And you know what? For the buyer's realtor, that's kind of, it's, it's tough. And for the buyer, if you're a buyer and you've gone through this, you know that that's a, that's a, uh, it's an unfortunate position to be in because you got to guess. Like if you want that house, you have to guess at what it's going to take to get it. And normally what that means is you got to put your best foot forward and you've got to decide how much at the very top end you would pay for that house. And what I often tell clients is, what's your line in the sand? So if you didn't get the house and somebody else got it and they beat you by $1,000, even $500, would you be able to, in good conscience, say, you know what, I was all in. I spent all that I would have. This guy beat me for by 500 bucks. I'm fine with that. That's your line in the sand. That's how you figure out your maximum and how much you would be willing to spend. Happens a lot where buyers lose out on several multiple offers before they sort of catch on and they finally get their home. We've had clients go through 12 or 15 
unsuccessful multiple offers before they ended up buying. Uh, by the way, that of course is usually in a marketplace where there's low inventory. That's your seller's market. That's where there's more buyers than there are sellers. You think about a situation where there are four offers on a property. You know what that means? That means that there's going to be one successful buyer and the other three buyers are still out there in the marketplace looking for homes. Uh, we interviewed our friend uh, Josh May in Grand Rapids, Michigan here on the show a little while ago. Uh, Michigan, of all places. Uh, he had a house that had 33 offers. So what happens like that every once in a while? Uh, very much, though, a pressure cooker situation, not for the weak at heart. Uh, definitely helps to have an agent who's very well uh, equipped to handle multiple offer situations because there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things can go wrong there. But again, there are rules of engagement. So um, as I started my, my story here, uh, one of my clients asked how these things are created. That's how it's created. They just don't come out out of the air. It is exceedingly rare for a property that's been on the market for three months, six months, eight months, to all of a sudden have multiple offers. The only way it could happen without a major price adjustment would be if the market changes and all of a sudden there's this huge deluge of buyers that wants to, um, that has interest in the property all of a sudden. So um, there we go. If you have questions about uh, anything real estate related, of course, let us know. Phone numbers 250-414-6540. Leave a message or visit us on cfax1070.com. Uh, by the way, if you're a podcast listener, find us, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, look, up the, look up the whole home show with me, Tony Joe. Uh, and we also are video recording many of these episodes, including this one here. Uh, if you'd like to see me interview Reese Jacob, our guest today, just find us on Facebook. It's the Prime Team, Prime Team Vic, the Prime Real Estate Team. Uh, or just Google Prime Real Estate Team. You'll find our YouTube channel where we also air these as well. So we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll be having a chat with Reese Jacob, uh, who, along with partner Monica Gass, are our show partners. They run Shoreline Inspections. We'll be back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We are chatting today with one of our show partners, Shoreline Inspections, with Reese Jacob and Monica Gass. Reese is with us today. Uh, Reese, thanks for joining us, taking time out of your busy day, because I know you uh, building inspectors are busy guys. Yeah, no problem, Tony. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you've been here before, but tell our listeners here who may not know your background. So tell us your background. Uh, I know what it is, but uh, they need to know um, how and, and how you came into this. Of course. Yeah. So um, I have a pretty extensive electrical background uh, prior to getting into the home inspections. Um, I was a Red Seal electrician for 12 years um, where I was a part of all kinds of projects, uh, starting with residential homes, condos. Um, I've seen hundreds of homes completed start to finish. Um, the company that I began my electrical career with um, started taking on more commercial contracts. So I had the opportunity to run projects from an early stage uh, in my apprenticeship. Um, so I got to complete numerous projects for University of Victoria, including a complete renovation of University Center, um, as well as um, working on clean rooms in the Elliott Building, which are used for uh, building microchips. So very like interesting. interesting 
stuff, yes. Okay. Um, and then once I got my electrical journeyman ticket, uh, I started working at the Victoria Shipyards, uh, where I got to work on Navy battleships um, and also got to install torpedo sensors on our Canadian submarines, which was pretty cool. Oh, so you've been on the submarines? Yes, yeah. So oh, I've wow. installed torpedo sensors, very neat stuff. Okay. Yeah, so I got to lay in the uh, torpedo bay and uh, and work. Well, in that's there. got that's got to be interesting because you are a tall. You are not a tiny guy, and th that's that's pretty tight in there, huh? Yeah, the marine industry is not uh, built for tall people. Um, <laughs> you know, the doorways are slightly shorter, and uh, yeah. um, you know, some tight spaces that you have to get into for sure. Yeah. Um, so I didn't uh, work there for too long, just because of that reason. It was a little bit tight for me. Um, so then I moved on and uh, at my next job, I, I kind of went to the industrial side of things. Um, I found myself in a minus 40 weather um, potash mine upgrade up in uh, Saskatoon. So I, I worked there for about a year and a half um, and eventually saved up uh, enough to buy my first home here in Victoria. So um, yeah, and so of course I got uh, a home inspection completed prior to purchasing my home. Um, and I felt like the inspection process could have been better. Uh, so I started, uh, decided to start my own inspection business and improve the way Victoria does home inspections. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's just one of these cases where, yeah, firsthand experience and you decided to, uh, you decided to upgrade, upgrade the, yeah, uh, exactly. Process. Yeah. Yeah. And that was cool. I mean, you guys, I, I've, I've, Obviously, we've seen your inspections. We've seen you interact with uh, with clients. Um, I, I saw you the other day on the road snapping pictures. So there's a lot of photos and stuff. And and uh, uh, nowadays, think so much are, so much is done digitally and uh, uh, electronically, right? It totally is. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a good variety of things that we get to look at. Uh, Definitely digital, digitized is key. We want to be, you know, using as little waste as possible as far as, you know, wasting paper and things like that goes. We, uh, we have digital reports and all of our photos are, are kept on digital devices just so that. Uh, well, and of course, the thing is, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for, it's hard for, you don't want people to get up on a roof because of course there's WCB issues and there's safety issues. So for you guys who are, who are certified, you can snap those high-res photos and you can show a, a potential buyer what the roof is looking like, right? Definitely, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's great to have a good picture of the roof, um, a good idea of what can, kind of condition the shingles are in and, you know, flashing, all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely beneficial to have us there and have a look at the roof for you because it's definitely somewhere that you're not going to be able to get up onto on your own. For sure. For sure. Well, listen, we're going to, we're going to dive into the conversation about electrical because as, as you've said, you've got a, you've got a background in uh, electrical and I, I don't, I was talking to you earlier. I don't think we've had someone talk about uh, electrical work um, uh, on the show, at least for a while. So I wanted, yeah. I, we got a list of questions that we're going to ask you. So we'll, we'll get uh, uh, deep into it, but I, I just want to talk more about inspections just so as people know, because question pops up often, you know, is a building inspection necessary and how much can an inspector really discover? For sure. So I think that it's always necessary. I mean, we're in a house for up to four hours um, looking for deficiencies, looking for um, anything that might pop out that we want to tell our clients about. Um, we go into spaces where the client can't necessarily go like up into the attic uh, area, up onto the roof, like we were talking about before. Um, down into crawl spaces, basements, that kind of thing. 
Um, so definitely important to have us in there to look at the spaces which you can't see yourself. Um, and then also just have us in there looking at things that you can see because quite often time um, people are looking at a house, they're really excited about it, they wanna buy it. Um, they overlook some, some smaller things that uh, definitely will pick up for you and you know, put on that deficiency list so that you can budget for replacement or repair as needed. Yeah. That's that's an excellent point because it's true. People get all excited. They're like, "Oh my god, I found my dream house!" and they and they have to buy it, but they overlook something. Definitely, right? yeah. So it's 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 very important to have one done, um, even on new builds, because on new builds we also go in and we mark any deficiencies, like you know if there's missing paint or missing cover plates on electrical or you know things that aren't working properly, leaking dishwasher. You never know what we might find. So. Um, pretty much any, anytime you're buying a place, we definitely recommend doing it. Well, actually for those listeners who, who weren't with us before your partner, Monica actually has brought up a couple of times a story about new construction and a, in a crawl space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, yeah, I think the one that she's probably referring to would be, um, a crawl space where the house sat vacant uh, it was a brand new house and uh, the heater wasn't left on in the house. And so the crawl space um, began to have mold in areas, extra moisture, humidity, um, causing problems uh, down the road as well. So definitely something that the builder didn't mean to do, but he did. And it's something that we caught and we were able to give our clients the heads up and they were able to do, address that. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, it's one of those things just because it's brand new, uh, one should just assume that it's like a hundred percent and everything's great. <clears throat> Even with new cars, there's, there's warranty issues with new cars sometimes. Right. And, and uh, it's, it's good to have a, that second look, uh, second look. And, and I mentioned Monica, by the way, so, um, so your, your partner works with you. So you're in a house for a long time and it's the two of you actually doing the inspection at the same time. Right. Yeah, that's correct. So we, we both uh, inspect the home from top to bottom and compare our notes at the end. Um, and uh, we're, we find that we're able to do a much more thorough and uh, detailed report as well for, for our clients. So we're finding that it's uh, much easier to have two people on site than just one, just in case there's something where you do need two people to access, say, an attic above a staircase or something. <laughs> yes. um, it's unsafe for one person to do. Um, so yeah, it's definitely beneficial and it's better to have two sets of eyes than just one. So. For sure. For sure. Um, now the other thing too, that we, uh, that we mentioned a moment ago was the fact that you're in crawl spaces and attics and things like that. And these are things that, that are buyers, your buyer, you know, they're not going to want to crawl in a crawl space. But the thing that I also like to bring up is that oftentimes the homeowner has not been in the crawl space or they have not been in the attic. So they don't know, um, you know, they, they assume everything's fine, but then you, you find things in attics, right? Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not areas that uh, homeowners usually go into unless they're, you know, adding lights in the attic or something like that. Um, it's not really an area that, that normal homeowners would go into unless uh, they're doing some work up there. So yeah, it's, it's good to know that uh, the attic's in good shape, especially if you're going to sell a home or, if you're buying a home, definitely good to know. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, here's something that I want to mention just before we head to our break here. Um, sure. What is common is when a homeowner has never been up in the attic. By the way, I haven't been up in my attic. I got to do that one of these days. Um, <laughs> they miss things like sometimes the duct from the bathroom fans or the kitchen fans are no longer connected to the roof. So, not, so the 
hot air is not going out of the, the attic, right? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, when a buyer buys the house, they have their building inspector. They go, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. The seller hasn't taken care of the house. That's not the case. It's just that the seller didn't know, right? And, yeah. Um, yeah. And it can be fixed pretty easily, you know, but uh, definitely left like that for too long. It can cause some other issues up in the attic. You can have excess humidity and and uh, mold and those kind of things happen. So it's definitely good to check your attic, you know, maybe once a year just to have a look up there and with the yeah. flashlight and make sure that uh, all the connections are still made. And that's actually something you can do for people. But, you know, let's take a break. Uh, we'll pick up on that again. Uh, Reese Jacob from Shoreline Inspections, the website again, Reese. Uh, shorelineinspections.ca great we'll take a quick break back in just a moment you're listening to the whole home show with tony joe on cfax 1070 thanks for coming back you're listening to the whole home show and i'm tony joe our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners denise webster mortgage broker with dominion lending center's modern mortgage group jp sellers insurance advisor at westland insurance the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Shoreline Inspections with Reese Jacob and Monica Gass. If you need help in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. You can find their contact information along with mine by visiting cfax1070.com, go to shows, and there you'll find us, the Home Show with me, Tony Joe. All of our contact information is there. We would be happy to help you. Uh, and as a reminder, too, if you're a podcast listener, you can download all of our episodes on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, and we do, on occasion like today, record on video our, our interviews. So if you'd like to see Reese uh, Jacob, our guest today, just visit our Facebook page, the uh, Prime Real Estate Team, or find us on YouTube. Basically, Google us. You'll be able to find myself and the Prime Real Estate Team and all this great information at any time. Uh, we're having a conversation today with our show sponsor, Shoreline Inspections, and with Reese Jacob, talking about building inspections. Uh, Reese, thanks again for, uh, for joining us today. I know you're busy. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, we were talking uh, just before the break about, uh, you know, talking about homeowners that uh, never get into their attics. They don't know what's up there. I don't know what's in mine. I keep on saying that. I gotta, I'll gotta, i get up there one of these days. Um, and as a result, sometimes owners don't know. They don't know that the ductwork has fallen from the ceiling. They don't know if there's any, you know, past entry or things like that. Um, uh, every once in a while, as an agent, when I'm just about to take a property for sale, and we want to know if there's, for instance, uh, vermiculite insulation, like asbestos uh, uh, insulation. Uh, I give you a call and I say, can you run up there and have a look? And, and uh, at a cost, it's always good to have someone like yourself get up there into these, these tight crawl sp uh, tight uh, 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 attic accesses, which I'm sure are fun sometimes. Eh? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes they're in uh, awkward places. Uh, like I was saying before, they're above staircases, you know, at the top of the stairs and you have to balance a ladder on the stairs above the, it's a little bit dangerous with one person, but having both of us there, um, definitely much, much safer operation. We're able to do it safely and get up into the attic. And like you're saying also, um, if you're someone who hasn't been in your attic, you know, maybe ever or in a long time, um, you can definitely call us up and we can uh, go up into your attic for you and take some photos, use our high power flashlight, to, um, create a little report for you as well. Um, and then you have documentation of your attic condition on the day that we're there. So 
Um, definitely good to have it checked every once in a while, just make sure all the systems are functioning properly. Um, all the ducting's connected still. There's no roof leaks, no rodents, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and, and, and the other thing, so I'm just thinking about uh, one that you did for us not that long ago because, you know, it, it enables the homeowner to actually do these very small minor repairs before they yeah. go to the market because when they're on the market and when a sale is happening, that's a high-stress situation, and that's when things yeah. can go sideways, right? Um, yes, it's nice to have that uh, taken care of before you have a potential buyer come in so that they don't get uh, scared off of the deal, I guess. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you brought up on, on this other house was uh, soffit venting. So there, there was insufficient, um, um, insufficient airflow. The attic needs the airflow to be healthy, right? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So usually the way an attic works is they have air coming up through the soffits and then exiting through the ridge of the roof through static vents generally. Um, obviously there's different kinds of venting, but I would say the most common type is to have soffit venting um, as well as that, uh, the ridge venting or um, a static vent near the ridge of the roof, so. Yeah, you, you need that because if, if, the, if the air, if there is an airflow, it actually, it, it can cause the roof to prematurely age, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And the, the roof sheathing as well. Um, so the underside uh, can start to get moldy or have some bio growth growing on it. So definitely important to have good airflow in your attic. Um, yeah, that's, that's super important. <laughs> okay. Well, well, listen, we talked about inspections, but one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about today is uh, electrical work because you are, your background is you're an electrician, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, we talked about your experience, um, your time on uh, submarines, which I didn't know about, by the way. Um, <laughs> but so when somebody's looking at a house, one of the questions they have is, how much electricity do I need in my house? Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it can be a, a confusing subject for some people. Um, but basically, electricity is calculated using four important values. Um, voltage being one of them, current being the other resistance and power. So we use Ohm's law, which is a combination of mathematical equations uh, to determine these values. So um, in Canada, um, residential buildings use 120 or 240 volt systems. Um, when it comes to measuring the amount of current flow to a resistive load, like let's say a heater, for example, um, then we would simply take the power rating of that heater which is measured in watts um, and divide it by the voltage, which is usually a 240 volt heater. Um, this gives us the current value, which is measured in amps, which most people have heard of as well. Um, so for example, uh, let's say you have a hairdryer in your house um, and it's a 1500 watts hairdryer. Um, if you divide that 1500 watts by the 120 volts, which is the standard in Canada of a regular outlet, um, it'll give you 12 and a half amps. So 12 and a half amps is a pretty high number for a 15 amp breaker, which most outlets are. So basically 12 and a half amps, if you were to plug two of those hair dryers in, now you'd be tripping breakers. And so when people talk about amps, they're usually talking about the overcurrent protection um, on the breaker itself. So a 15 amp breaker will only allow up to 15 amps before it trips. And so, there's a 20 amp breaker, 20 amps, 30 amp breaker, 30 amps, so on and so forth. Um, so that's what amps are. Um, and then the other thing is that people wanna know about is 
how to determine how much power you're using because it's actually a different calculation. So to determine how much power or say kilowatt hours, which is what BC Hydro would charge you in your home, um, you would take that power amount, so the 1500 watt hairdryer, and multiply it by say three hours. Let's say you're running your hair dryer for three hours for some reason. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, lots of hair to do that day. Um, so then you're using about 4.5 kilowatts or kilowatt hours. Um, and if you multiply that by the current rate, which is about 14 cents, um, it's costing you about 63 cents to run that hair dryer for three hours. So, you know, for some people that might seem like a lot, but some people it might not seem like much. It's worth it to uh, get the hair looking good. So, <laughs> well, I don't think people really people, people don't really pay too much attention to that, other than looking at their hydro bill when they see the the usage, yeah. right? Uh, every uh, invoice. And and the other thing too, which we'll get into maybe after the next break is. Um, in particular, electric cars, because of course, people are very totally. curious to know what the cost of their of their electric power is, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the main average of your home service is super important because it's the total amount of amps that can be used at any given time to supply the home with power. So, um, if you do add a larger, you know, load to the to the service, then chances are you may have to upgrade your service if it wasn't designed yeah. to have that. So we're talking so, things like not only um, electric car, electric car, but hot tub. Uh, if you have an arc welder or something, any of the any of those kind of big big items, right? Yeah, exactly. So you, you may want to upgrade your electrical service um, if you're thinking about adding another load. So a major load would be like you said, car chargers, hot tubs. Uh, maybe you want to put a workshop in the backyard with. Um, welding plugs, that kind of thing in it. Um, electric baseboard heaters are actually quite a big draw, heat pumps, um, all those kind of things. So more equipment uh, equals more power, right? For sure. Well, I want to talk, we need to take another break here, but I want to talk about uh, electrical panels because this is also another question people have. You know, a 100 amp panel, 200 amp, we see the old ones, which were like 60 amp or whatever. We're, we're going to touch on that as well. But we're, we have with us right now, Reese Jacob, he is with Shoreline Inspections and one of our show partners here at the whole home show. If people need to reach you, Reese, best way to do that? Uh, yeah, you can reach us on our website at shorelineinspections.ca uh, or you can email me at reese at shorelineinspections.ca. And the other thing too is, you know, people should know they don't need to wait until they're buying or selling to get a billing inspector. Like they could call you to check on things, right? Things that they, they're oh, unsure about. Yeah. 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 And uh, we like to tell people to, you know, book our inspection service as far in advance as possible. Um we understand that cancellations happen in the real estate world. So we're very much um, okay with that. We just want to make sure that people are getting inspections and leave themselves enough time to make sure that that happens before they have to um, close on the deal. Fantastic. Well, listen, need to take a quick, quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is the whole home show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. By the way, you'll find our episodes, all of our past episodes, on podcast if you're a podcast listener. Go to iTunes or Google Play. Look up The Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. All of our past episodes are there. Uh, we are today chatting with one of our show partners, Reese Jacob. Uh, Reese and Monica Gass's partner run Shoreline Inspections, a building inspection operation here in Victoria. Uh, and of course, Reese has a background as an electrician. So that's what we're talking about right now is electrical stuff in your house. Thanks again for coming, Reese. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Okay, so before the break, uh, we were having this conversation about electrical panels because 
Um, a question that comes up often with our buyers is, should I um, upgrade from an 100 amp service to a 200 amp service? So what's the answer there? So generally, um, a home will have a service that's big enough to power the supply that it needs. Um, but like I was saying is if you do want to add a, another major load, um, you know, more heaters, whatever it might be, um, there is a thing called a load calculation, which is something that we learned to do in electrical school. So usually if you're going to add a large load like that, you'll have an electrician come in and do a load calculation for you. Um, but generally a house will have enough power to run what it has already. Um, and if you do want to upgrade it, it's something you can do and it, it can be beneficial to some people to switch up and, and get a larger service. Um, the way that we determine how big a service is, um, is that we go to a home, we look at the service. So if it's a surface mounted um, overhead service, you'll be able to see the conduit. And based on the conduit size, we can determine um, usually how big of a service it is because yeah. So you're you're, you're you're talking about the you're talking about the line from the house out to the like the power pole, for instance, right? Yeah, exactly. So mounted usually on the outside of the house, um, unless it was built with the house, right? Um, and then sometimes they're also underground services, and it's the same thing because you can see the pipe come up from the underground sometimes, and if it's a two inch uh, conduit, then we know it's a 200 amp service. Um, smaller conduit, smaller service. So Got it. that's usually how we determine how big it is. Um, another way is to go inside, find the main electrical panel. Um, and usually it's on the main electrical panel is the main breaker. So that main breaker size is the overcurrent protection um, for those cables essentially. So in, in some bigger houses, so 200 amp service is, is typically the, the, the largest service that we see in a residential home, right? Yeah, so most, most single family homes now will have a, a 200 amp service. Um, some will have 150, um, but yeah, usually it's about 150 or 200 now. And if somebody needs more than the 200 amp service, um, what, what is the, so if, for instance, a larger property that has a lot of uh, electrical yeah. needs. What what happens then? So um, I've installed a, a 400 amp service before. Uh, the home was a large home. It had uh, a very large swimming pool as well. And so that was why they needed the extra amperage so that they could heat and keep their swimming pool warm. And I'm pretty sure that it had um, a built in, what do you call it? The a lap pool? What, what oh, do you yeah. Call yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Got the current built in so you can swim against it. The stationary pool. So it, it did require a large load because it had a built in motor and a heating system and everything like that. And yeah. so the 200 amps just wasn't big enough for their home because it was quite a large home as well. And so um, in cases like that, um, you do want to get a larger, say, 400 amp service. Um, and then other areas where you may need a larger service. Um, some people have, you know, multiple outbuildings on the property um, and they'll have almost a, a sort of a switch room or a switch building where they can um, divide all their power out into the, the different outbuildings. So on yeah. farms. Yeah, we're talking almost commercial applications there, right? But typically, yeah, yeah typically yeah. in a residential home, 200 amp service. Now, 200 is usually plenty, yes. Yeah. Yes. Now we still bump into... Houses that have 60 amp or less than 100 amp service? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. we do. So, I mean, a, a 60 amp service is probably quite an old service. Um, and if you still have the original panel, it's, you know, it might be time to upgrade that into a newer panel and possibly a new service as well. Yeah. Well, this is a problem because the thing is, it's an insurance issue as well. So uh, insurance companies want to make sure that they have that, that 100 amp service, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Hey, you talked about uh, pools and, and all that. So this is an interesting segue for me because there's another one of these questions is uh, having water near power is a bad thing. We all know, right? Um, yes. Tell us about uh, uh, GFCI outlets. GFCI. Right, yes. GFCI outlets. So they're a very important uh, safety device in the electrical yeah. world. Ground um, fault ground uh, circuit fault indicator. Interrupter. Oh, interrupter. That's what GFCI stands for. Okay. Um, and yeah, they have a built-in safety device uh, that will trip much faster than a standard breaker that would be in a panel. Um, and so now they're used in new construction anywhere in the home near a water source. So uh, kitchen near your sink, in the bathroom, um, the laundry room, exterior outlets next to your pool, that kind of stuff. Um, all those outlets will be required to be GFCI protected now. Um, usually they have a built-in test and reset switch so that uh, you're able to test it and reset it as needed to make sure that they're working properly, right? Because it's a, a safety device. So yeah, it's, it's something that uh, wasn't required obviously in older homes, um, but slowly the electrical code has called for them um, in, in all new construction and uh, anywhere that they're doing a significant electrical upgrade. So yeah, you know, you, you think about those, remember uh, in the, the older days, like the seventies, they had those uh, outlets just for razors only, electric oh, razors. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the two-prong razor yeah. outlets, yes, for sure. So if you have one of those, I mean, it's it's probably it's time to change that out as well. Um, have an electrician come in for you and, and put in a, a GFCI outlet because, like I said, anywhere near a water source, just in case your hand is wet, if you go to plug something in or that electrical device falls into the sink while you're washing your hands, you never know. So it's definitely important to have those GFCI outlets installed and, and making sure that they are functioning properly. Yeah, it's a distance thing too, right? It doesn't have to be like three feet or something from the from the water source or something? Yeah, I believe the actual code's a meter and a half. So, okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, and, and here's another question because sometimes people will be in a bathroom where there's an outlet and it's not a GFCI, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that outlet isn't, um, uh, doesn't have a circuit interrupter, right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So there's also the option to have a GFCI breaker uh, at your breaker panel. And yep. so everything on that circuit would now be protected by the GFCI um, function as well. And so yep. that's another thing. Um, if, if you do notice that maybe your, your bathroom plug doesn't have that uh, reset button, your reset may be located at the panel instead. Um, so if you do notice that your plugs aren't working in the bathrooms, it could be that uh, your GFCI breaker back at the breaker panel is tripped and just needs to be reset. Check the paddle, check the paddle. Got yeah, it. Check Got the it. Paddle as well. Um, so a fair amount of homes, especially, um, uh, you know, houses in the seventies and Gordon head, for instance, we bump into this whole aluminum wiring situation. So tell us about that. Yeah. So aluminum branch circuit wiring uh, in the home was commonly used in the 70s um, due to its affordability compared to copper. Um, it's still a great conductor, aluminum, um, but the problem is that uh, it becomes 
brittle over time and uh, basically it can break inside of your junction box and behind the outlet or the switch, um, causing that conductor to arc, spark, and even sometimes catch on fire um, before the breaker will trip. So it's a fire hazard in some cases um, and for obvious reasons, insurance companies um, don't like this. So uh, luckily there is solutions that most uh, insurance companies will be happy about. Um, one of them would be have an electrician come to the home and rewire uh, all of your circuits with copper branch circuits. Um, this can be quite expensive to do um, just because it requires you to open up walls, um, you know, all kinds of things essentially to pull out all the wires and pull Big them back job. in again. Yeah. yeah, so another option would be a quite, quite less expensive option um, is to have an electrician install copper pigtails um, at all the outlets and switches in the home. So this means that the connection to the actual outlet itself um, is removed and then replaced with copper conductors instead. And then those are refastened to the actual device and then spliced back into the circuit. Um, usually this kind of job takes, you know, a day or two probably for an electrician, depending on the size of your house. Um, and roughly costs, you know, about 2000 plus or minus dollars just to, to do an average size home. Um, but then it gives you the peace of mind that you know that it's been done. You've had an electrician look at all this wiring that may have not been touched in, you know, 50 years, 40 years. Um, so it's definitely good to have an electrician come through and just make sure that all those wires are looking good and that you have the copper pigtails and then hopefully your insurance company will be happy with that as well. Yeah. Uh, and how you determine it's aluminum, you can tell by, by popping open a, uh, um, a plate and, and looking in the switch, right? Definitely. Yeah. So a couple of ways that I can tell, um, obviously when I come in to do a home inspection, I remove the panel cover. So at the panel itself, I'm able to see that, um, you know, the neutral wires and all the wires that are terminated into breakers are aluminum wiring. Um, and so then once I see that, I know to check all, uh, or at least a few of the outlets to see if they've done the copper pigtail, uh, method and, uh, pull off a few cover plates, things like that, and check a, a representative number usually. Um, and even if people are buying a house and they, you know, they aren't sure if it's been done, they, there's an extra charge, but we're able to actually remove all the cover plates if you want and just make sure that they have all been done, um, which is something we've done for people before. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's important for people to know that the aluminum wiring was a certain, it was a point in time. So houses that were built within a certain time um, yep. uh, typically are the ones. So you're not going to find it in an old, old house and definitely not in a new home, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, interesting because they still use aluminum conductors. However, they only use it for service conductors, so much larger conductors. Um, so you could still run a service, uh, say your 200 amp service for your home can still be run with aluminum wiring. Um, because it is still less expensive than copper. So that's fine. It's just that branch circuit wiring, those small conductors that were becoming brittle and becoming a fire hazard. So definitely important to have those fixed. All right. Well, listen, we're just wrapping up here. We got about 50 seconds. I got one final question for you. And that is where should smoke detectors be located in a home? <laughs> well, smoke detectors are super important. Um, they're going to keep everyone in your home safe. They should be installed at least on every floor and outside of bedrooms. Um, if your detector doesn't have a replace by date on it, then chances are it's time for a new detector. 
Um, oh, okay. <laughs> frequently, they should, you know, make sure that they're functioning properly. Um, and another thing to consider is if your home has a fuel burning appliance, like a stove, a water heater, a fireplace, attached garage, anything like that, um, then you should also have a carbon monoxide detector installed in the home as well. Good job and great timing too. Uh, Reese Jacob, uh, who along with partner Monica Gas, run Shoreline Inspections. They are one of our show partners. Uh, Reese, again, if people need to reach you, you and Monica, what's the best way? Uh, you can reach me on my phone, uh, 250-818-6869. Great. Or shorelineinspections.ca. Yes. Perfect. Thanks for joining us, Reese. Uh, and to the rest of our listeners, we'll be here for you this time next week.